Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. And amen. God, the famous theologian, you may know him or may not know him, but A.W. Tozer, who once wrote, attempting to reconcile God's sovereignty and man's free will, he writes this. I thought it was very interesting. He writes, an ocean liner leaves New York bound for Liverpool. Its destination has been determined by the proper authorities and nothing can change it. This is at least a faint picture of sovereignty. On board the liner are scores of passengers. These are not, these, these passengers are not in chains. Neither are their activities determined for them by decree. They are completely free to move as they will. They eat, sleep, play, lounge around the deck, read, talk all together as they please. But all the while, Listen, the great liner is carrying them steadily onward toward a predetermined port. Both freedom and sovereignty are present here, and they don't contradict. So it is, I believe, with man's freedom and the sovereignty of God, the mighty liner of God's sovereign design keeps its steady course over the sea of history. And Lord, guys, so often in life we must, we realize that we live in a world with the sovereignty of God as well as the free will choice of men. You go, what do you mean? Well, like the ocean liner in our story, life in this world contains both God's rule, that's what we're going to call his sovereignty, but it also contains man's freedom to choose. Man's freedom to choose. Well, give me an example. Well, God is on the throne, guys, and he has a specific destiny for us, right? And for the world. It's it's happened since the beginning of time. Now, since the beginning of time, God has reigned supreme. There's never been a day where we go, oh, God is off the throne. Man, he's off his game. Are you kidding me? It's never been. God has always been on the throne, and he's always reigned supreme. God knows the very beginning, and he knows the very end. And he has always been working his plan. I don't know if you've read the Old Testament at times, and you go, Wow, this just, God is in control. God created the enemies. God allowed this enemy to come in to teach Israel a lesson. And you're like, see, God has been on the throne and he has been working his plan. Wow. On the other hand, man has been given a free will to live his life. Man has been given a free will to choose whether or not to love and serve the Lord. Now, As we make our way through Psalm 97, we're going to discover something very interesting. You go, what's that, Pastor Ben? We're going to discover both the sovereignty of the Lord and the free will of men. But before we move on to our study, there's something very important we need to talk about. You go, what's that? We need to go back and we need to determine what happened so that we can understand the world we're living in. Are you guys tracking with me? We've got to get it. Because if we don't, you're going to look at things on TV, you're going to look at things in the radio, you're going to read things in the newspaper, and you're going to go, what a crazy world we live in. How can you say that God is on the throne? How can you say he's in control? Well, let me give you some background, guys. Let's do some teaching here, okay? Okay. 
We need to understand so we can determine the world we're living in. So hold your finger, guys, in Psalm, right here, your Psalm 97. Go to the very beginning of the book, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, I want to show you something. We won't spend a whole lot of time here because I've, I've been with you over and over this, but Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Now listen, as you make your way to Genesis chapter 3, guys, holding your finger in Psalm 97, there's something you need to understand. Up until chapter 3, everything was amazing. It was good, right? I mean, if you just, if we threw out the rest of the Bible, chapters 1 and 2, we're like, yes! It is good. It is good, right? Well, you go, what was happening? Well, we know that God was what? He's very creative. He's creating everything. Let there be, boom, God says it. It's just amazing. God is creating everything. Now, if you've been with us in our John study, you realize that Jesus has been all part of creation, right? John chapter 1. You go, oh, yeah, you said that. But what does he do? He also creates men and women. When does he create them, church? He creates them on the sixth day. Do you realize that? That's when he created men. You go, that's interesting. Because if it was me, I was thinking, I'm a, my greatest creation is going to be the first day because men and women. God creates them on the sixth day. And you go, why? Well, I, I often wonder, God, why did you create Adam and Eve on the sixth day? Now, let me give you my opinion, okay? This is my opinion. It's not the word of God, it's my opinion. I'm on the side of the pulpit right here. You go, what is it? Here it is. I believe that they, God created Adam and Eve on the sixth day because they would have tried to tell God how to create everything else. Don't you agree? You go, Ben, why do you say that? Are we not like that now? Don't we try to govern the whole world? God, listen, listen. God, hey. God, listen, can, can I have a talk? I'm going to talk with you. Listen, if, if you would just do this, this, and this, and then if you would fix that, that, and that, and, and listen, over here, I don't know what you're going to do there, but listen, this is how, and we try to give God advice even now. And God sits there, and he just chuckles at us. He's like, really, you, 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 you got all that figured out? I got it all figured out, God. I should be on the, well, we know Jesus on the right hand. Maybe I should be on the left hand and telling and kind of governing this whole. And that's what we do. And I believe that if God would have created Adam and Eve first, they would have been, they would have been trying to advise God on how to run the world. Now, don't look at me because you do the same thing. You know, I know, I know. I just, the stuff I don't like, I tell God he should fix. Now, note with me, guys. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, Then God said, Let us, who is he talking about? Father, Son, and Spirit, make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So Adam and Eve have dominion over the creeps, or the creeping things. Now, in Genesis, move on a little bit further to verse 31. It says, then God saw everything that he made, and indeed, notice, it was very good. Up until this point, he creates stuff. He goes, that's good. He goes, now I'm going to create, I'm going to create the sun and the moon. Oh, that's good. But when he creates man, when he creates you and I in his image, notice what he says. He says, that was very good. That was very good. Can I offer you some encouragement, church? The world is beating you down so much. And you know what God says about you? You're very good. He created you very good. He says that right here 
And then he goes on and he says, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now listen, before chapter three happens right here, where is God? He's in sovereign rule. But let me say this, guys, listen to me. You got to catch this. Man's freedom, where is it? He still has freedom, but it's tied up in his love for God. Okay? Man still has freedom. Created Adam and Eve. He said, listen, here you go. You have dominion over all of this stuff. Man, man have, listen, be free. Be free. God is the creator. He's the manager. He's the owner of the world. Man was given a promotion. Adam, now that you're going to tend the garden, you're going to, you're going to subdue the earth, he says. You are the manager over all the earth. Adam, here's what I want you to do. So you can have authority. You're going to name the animals. And you guys saw all of that, right? You want you to subdue the earth. Now, the Bible tells us in chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, it says, So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. For Adam, there was not found a what helper compatible to him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Gals, you came from ribs, just so you know. Adam, so Adam's looking around and he's going, that looks like an elephant, right? And I don't know how you, how he knew hippopotamus, but there's a hippopotamus and he saw something jump at his leg. He says, that's a frog, right? He names everything, realizes that there's nothing like him. And God says, Adam, you need to take a nap. I don't want to take a nap. Adam, you need to take a nap. I don't want to. He puts Adam to sleep, takes a rib. And what does he do? He closes up the wound. Adam wakes up. Look at verse 22. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from men, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the men. Everything is good at this point, right? Can we shoot straight at this point? Adam looks at Eve, and he says, hubba, hubba. Wow, right? I mean, he spends his time naming animals, and now he's going he's gonna to start, I mean, from here on, he's going to speak poetry, right? You are flesh of my... I mean, things are good. He looks, at his, he looks at his wife, and he's thinking, wow, there ain't another woman on earth like her. Right? But here's a little insight. Guys, shouldn't you look at your wife and say the same thing? There ain't another woman on earth like her. Well, life was good up until chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, oh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the tree of the fruit in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So what's the first thing that pops out, guys, is that here is Eve having a dialogue with a snake. I mean, that, that's the first, I'm just like, Eve, really? But, but nonetheless, it's not freaking anybody else out, but she's having this dialogue, Right. The problem with the dialogue is he comes in and he starts questioning God's word. And that's the first thing a snake will do. Did God really say? That's the first thing a snake... Did God really... Did, listen, baby, I love you. I love you. Did God really say? Yes, God said. But she says, um, you know, so she's having this dialogue, right? Here's a question the gals are asking, right? What are the gals asking? 
Where's Adam? Where's Adam? I wish the Bible told us because I don't know if he was chasing butterflies. I don't know if he was counting his toes. You know, it's like, oh, look at there. But nonetheless, his wife is talking to a snake. And he begins questioning God's word and the serpent. And now, notice, and she, she sort of changes God's words a little bit. Did you see that? See, because God never told her you didn't touch it. He just said, don't eat of that. And she says, lest you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, Eve, come on, give me a break. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. And she's probably thinking, why? What do you mean? Look at verse 5. For God knows that in the day of you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Wait, wait, wait. What, what was that? God knows you're not going to die. Here's this problem. God is so insecure that if you eat that, you're going to be just like him and God can't handle, you know, can't handle you doing this. Really? So you're telling me, Mr. Serpent, that God is holding out on me? And that if I eat this fruit, the only reason he doesn't want me to eat this fruit is because then I'm going to be like a god? Guess what she does? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that was pleasant to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. But notice what she also does. She also gave her husband with her and he ate. So she said, sweetie, come here. Try this, right? Adam and Tiffany are going to be getting married. She's going to cook one day. She goes, sweetie, come here and try this. Don't do it, man. Don't do it. But you will. You will. You'll be like, what? And you'll go over there. And and that's what she did, right? And what happened, guys? Notice, immediately the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves covering. What happened, guys? Sin entered the world right here. But much more happened than that, okay? We, we've heard this account several times, but let me just point something out to you guys. Right here, we've determined a couple of things. You go, what's that? If you're taking note, jot this down. Man had a free will to choose, right? She, even Adam, had a free will to choose up until the point, right? When she looked up and the, this, she's talking to the snake, she just said, this is crazy. I'm out of here. I don't talk to snakes. But she had a free will to choose. Adam also had a free will to choose, did he not? When she offered him, Eve, what did you do? Eve, I I don't know what would have happened had Adam not, but he did. So man had a free will to choose. Would he obey the Lord or will he do his own thing? The second thing you need to grasp here, guys, as we make our way to the psalm, is that man at this point forfeited, forfeited the deed over the earth to Satan. Right? In other words, earth was under new management. That's what happened. As soon as sin came in, Adam, who was, who was the manager, God's the owner. Adam, you're the manager, man. Get in there. Work that ground. It's going to be a good thing. I've got great plans for you. Adam takes the deed, the title deed to the earth, and he gives it to Satan when sin entered the world. You guys tracking with me, okay? You've got to understand that. You go, why? Okay, well, fast forward to 2017, okay? Man is still given a free will to choose. You go, why? This is very important you catch this, okay? Love is not love 
if there is no choice. Love is not love if there is no choice. So when we stand and we go, God, and we ask why, we need to understand that God loves us so much that he gave us a free will choice for what reason? So that if we're going to love him, then it is love that we're going to. I mean, he could have created us, what? He could have created us like robots doing everything he commanded us to do, right? Could you imagine if this was a, a forced righteousness robotic world? We would all be forced to say the right thing. I mean, that's not love. God goes, do you love me? Of course, I love you. I don't know why we talk like a robot voice, but that's just us. Of course, I love you, Lord. We don't have a choice. And then God looks at it and goes, that's not love. It was love that put Jesus on the cross for our sin. You realize that before the foundation was ever made, that Jesus said, if you create man and he sins, I'm going to have to, I'm going to want to go and I'm going to die on the cross for their sin. That's love. It's a choice. That's a choice. You see, you got to grasp that, guys. Because we're given a free will, even today, to choose if we're going to love God, follow God, serve God or not. Because love is not love if there is no choice. The second thing we need to understand is that the world is still under Satan's management. Okay, I don't have time to get into the study, but think about this. In Revelation, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take the title title deed back to the earth. And he's going to restore all things right. But for today... Satan is still the manager of the world. He's still, he's, and it's, it, you know, I mean, think about this, right? Think about, think about a restaurant that has, un, that, that is just under bad, horrible, yucky management, right? You go into the restaurant, there's dirt everywhere, there's flies. I mean, it's just yucky, right? And you're just like, I'm not eating here. Look at this. They don't even care about this place. And eventually they sell it, and what are the first thing they do? They put a sign that says, under new management. They clean it all up, and you go, man, I remember when this place was a dump, but now look at it. Right now, in the world, it's that yucky, fly, dirty, gross, greasy restaurant, and that's the world. Satan has that, right? But we still have a choice. We still have a choice. Now, here's what you need to understand. God is still the owner. Okay? He didn't give up ownership. He didn't say, Adam, this is yours. You get a new car, you get a car. But anyways, he says, he says he's the owner. And one day he's going to come back and he's going to take back ownership. But until that day, church, listen, we all live under the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Everybody got that. You know where it's happening, okay? So when, when you see bad things happening, you go, okay, I understand. I know who's, I know who, I know what management, I know where we're at, I know what, what he's trying to do. And I understand man's free will. This is important to grasp, church, because often in life we will say these words. Why do bad things happen to good people? If God is good, you may have heard this, if God is good, why did this happen? As we dive into Psalm 97, remember this introduction. Because at first glance, guys, When we look at Psalm 97, verse 1, it seems easy enough, right? It says, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. And and, and we read, a lot of times, guys, let's be honest, we read it and we move on. Lord reigns, and we just go, amen, and we just move on. But but think about this, guys, we we don't give it much thought. But 
what I'd like to do is I'd like for you to put on a thinking cap for just a moment. What do you mean? If we were to take some time to think through this, it really does raise some questions, doesn't it? Does it not? You go, why? Well, I would think stuff like, okay, if, if I'm going to think about this, I would have to ask, does the Lord reign over terrorists who blow up innocent victims? Does he reign over atrocities of war? Does he reign over floods, earthquakes, tornadoes, and other natural disasters that claim thousands of lives each year? Does the Lord reign over famine and starvation and deadly diseases? Does the Lord reign over a loss of a job or home due to a bad economy? Does the Lord reign over prolonged diseases or untimely death of a loved one? Does he reign over the tension in your marriage or the struggle and the heartache of dealing with a rebellious child? Does he reign over relatively minor frustrating circumstances that you faced last week? You see, we can't just read, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, because we're going, but Lord, we live in a world that's yucky. We live in a world of wars. We live in a world. I was sitting on my recliner on Sunday afternoon, enjoying the afternoon, and I get a text on my phone that a friend of ours, a a distant friend of the church, um, him and his wife were traveling in Colorado, and Somebody was coming the wrong way and hit him head on. And the fella was not revived on the side of the road. Would you please pray for the family? Well, I know these folks. In an instant, life was changed. Life was changed. Does God reign over someone driving the wrong way and it's like, wow. But, but to answer that question, and many more, it's a resounding yes. You see, the Lord still reigns, and we are to rejoice. You see, as we make our way to Psalm 97, we must consider the psalmist's application that the Lord reigns should be cause for Rejoicing. If you have a pencil handy back in Psalm 97, the word rejoice is the Hebrew word gehil, and it means to be glad, joyful, joy, to rejoice. Here's what I like, to spin around under any violent emotion. Isn't that cool? For you to be happy, yes, praise the Lord, in a a violent, that's what it means, guys. It means that, to gehil. But here's what it doesn't say, church, listen. The Lord reigns, shake your fist at him and let him know how angry you are because of your trials. No, he doesn't say, the psalmist doesn't say, the Lord reigns, grit your teeth and grudgingly submit. Okay, God, I'm in this world. You know what he says? The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. The the Lord's sovereignty should cause all people to be glad. Now, the psalm also reveals that many people do not rejoice because of God's reign. You got that? Some are his adversaries, whom God will destroy with his righteous judgment. Some represented as poetically as mountains will melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Those who serve idols will be ashamed or confounded when the Lord displays his glory. And some of the wicked attack God's people, but they will ultimately not succeed. 
So if you're taking notes, church, the message of Psalm is this. You ready? Because the Lord reigns over all, his saints should rejoice, but sinners should fear his coming judgment. That's the whole message. That you and I, guys, because the Lord reigns over all. Now, remember, God's sovereignty and man's free will. God's sovereignty and man's free will. Okay? They're not contradicting. It's the world we live in. So, that's where we're picking up our teaching. God is on the throne. Let us rejoice. Look at verse 1. The psalmist writes, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. Notice how he starts out this declaration, guys. And I think this should be the declaration of our heart. You go, what's that? He says, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. You go, what does it mean to reign? It means to ascend to the throne, to act as king, to be set up as king, to rule. That's exactly what he's saying. He's looking at it and he says, listen, God is on the throne. He's still in control. The Lord reigns. And he says, that, right? And he says, the Lord is king and he is sovereign. So those who love him should rejoice. You go, what do you mean? Well, we should be glad. We should have joy. We should walk in peace knowing that God is in control of all things. Now, let's put the brakes, everybody. You go, why? Isn't that a hard thing to do? I know God is on the throne. I know he's in Listen, I, the other day I'm out going for a little walk run and, and I'm listening to the Psalms in my, in my headphones and I'm listening to those and I'm like, God, you tell the oceans where to stop, man. You spoke, you know, I mean. You can do anything you want. And I said, God, I don't understand. I don't get it. And the Lord says, listen, listen, if you love me, guys, you should rejoice. You should have joy and you should walk in peace. The problem is, what's the problem, church? We live where man is free and Satan has influence. That's the problem. I would venture to say 50 years ago, the same pressure that we feel in the world today was probably not felt back then. I'm not saying that they weren't, they didn't have their own specific sets of, of, of issues they were dealing with, but what I'm saying is that now with everything else going on, you can feel, it's like, oh. now, we're talking on a, on a global level, and we're also talking on a personal level. We're talking with emotions, well, why can't God fix this? And I don't understand why God won't do that. And why can't God just fix my wife? And why can't he give me a job? Or why can't he give me a better job? Or I don't understand. Why won't my kids, they, they just don't mind. They're going to rebel. And we got prodigals on. We're praying for our pro- And we're just, we're just, we're laying all this before God. And we forget that what? That man has a free will, even under the sovereignty, even under the rule of God. And man still has a free will to choose. And we're still living in what? Under the old yucky management. We're still living there. But remember, we are to look beyond the present into the eternal. Trusting that God knows and sees and is working and walking us into our destiny. 
Guys, the problem is, is that when something happens to us, we grit our fist and we clench our feet and we hold back and go, God, why? And we got to, and, and a lot of times we need to go, God, what are you doing in my life? Because listen, I gave you my life and you love me. And so I trust that you have the very best for me. What am I to learn from this and help me to move forward? And I know it hurts. It hurts like everything. But I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to rejoice that you're on the throne. When that happens, what's the first thing? The enemy comes in with what Ephesians calls those fiery darts, and what does he say? God doesn't love you. If God really loved you, you wouldn't be going through this. Hey, God is good, right? God is good. So if he's good, why are you hurting so much? Why is, why is the world spinning out of control? And you know what we say? Our God reigns, and I'm going to rejoice. He's in control. He's in control. Guys, listen, it's a battle every day to rejoice in our corrupted world. But the, but the psalmist writes and he says, the Lord reigns supreme. Now, if you're taking note, this is just a good place to realize that Psalm 97 comes right off the hills of 96 verse 10. Psalm 96 verse 10, he says, tell the nation the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all peoples fairly. And then he goes on to say, right, let the multitude of the isles be glad. If you have a pencil handy, that too means coastlands. And what's he saying? He's saying, guys, not just in Jerusalem. God doesn't just reign in Jerusalem or Israel. Guess what? God reigns from coast to coast. And I love that. Why? Because I need him here. I need him here. God is so supreme, guys, that not only is he reigning everything and knowing what's going on in the Middle East and is directing it, but he's also reigning each one of our lives. How does that happen? I don't know. He's God. Did you know? Dun, dun, dun. Did you know for 50 years, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem was under Muslim control? Up until last week. It's now under Jewish control. Did you hear? The metal detectors that we walk through are coming down. They gave me chills. You go, why? Guys, it's the beginning. God is in control. He's been orchestrating. Here he goes, what's going on? I'm going, God's working. He's working. Well, Ben, that's the hot spot of the world. I know. I want to herald what John the Baptist says. People get ready. Jesus is coming. I know, young people look at me. I know you're going, I have my whole life. I wanted to get married. I wanted to have babies. I wanted, I get that. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, guys, you need to love Jesus more than any of that. So go listen, that, that's great. God, if that's cool, I'm all for it. Bring me my husband. Where are you? Where you be at? Where is he? But if not, you go, I want Jesus. Here's why. Because not only is it, and I'm getting off track here, so. Not only is the Temple Mount under Jewish control, but over in Wisconsin, they're now microchipping at an employment, little RFID chip so that you can work there. Yeah, what does that mean to me? Oh no, just don't take the mark. You see, it's all coming together. But what the enemy wants you to do is go, no, 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 listen. Yeah, Jesus is coming back. Yeah, yeah, he's coming back. But he's not coming back for 100 years, man. Chill. 
You know, just relax, man. He's not coming back. No, no, no. We have to be ready, guys. He's coming back for us real soon. You know how soon? He might come back for us in the next five seconds. Are you ready? Maybe the next five. That's how ready we got to be. Guys, tomorrow morning, do me a favor. When you wake up and you get your cup of coffee, I just look up to the east and go, Lord, you coming back? Keep your neck up. It's like, wow. Might be today. Might be today. I'm going to have a second cup. Might be today. I'm going to have that coffee cake that my husband loved. Oh, maybe today, you know, just not, not you, Joe, just everybody else. Verse 2, he says, clouds and darkness surround him. Righteous and justice are f- the foundation of his throne. And fire goes before him, and he burns up his enemies about. And when, you think of, when you think of clouds and darkness, where do you think about it? You guys remember, does your mind go back to Mount Sinai, remember? Because that's really what it was. I mean, Mount Sinai, think about it. He might have had this, same in, this whole thing in mind when he said, yeah, I remember Mount Sinai. It was marked by a thick cloud on the mountain in this huge smoke of the furnace. As a matter of fact, I mean, there's a mountain there in Saudi Arabia. If you fly over on the top, it's black as, black as night. And most people believe this is the real Mount Sinai. And it says clouds and darkness surround him, righteousness, right? A fire goes before him. This is a poetic description of the same kind of phenomenon that happened in Mount Sinai. This either remembers that God did or uses the same ideas to describe the future display of God's sovereign presence, the presence of the Lord of the whole earth when all the people see his glory. Think about it, guys. A fire goes before him and he burns up who? who? His enemies round about him. See, now, now listen. Seemingly, it might look like God's enemies are winning. We sit back, we watch the news, and we just shudder in unbelief. Our hearts break when we get that text, pray for a family, this happened or this happened. Our hearts break when, when we go to the doctor and the doctor says, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Seemingly, it seems like the enemy wins, but you know what? We need to rejoice. You go, why? Because our God's still on the throne. He's still reigning. Here's what, we, here's what we struggle with. You ready, guys? We struggle with the fact that we think all of this takes God by surprise. Did, 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 did you know? God's like, I knew, and I've been working this whole plan. Well, did God give me cancer? No, God didn't give you cancer in a fallen world with everything that's in it. Things happen. But God knew about it and he was right there with you. Pastor, I got to be honest with you, I prayed for healing. But do you realize that healing could be that God says, I'm not going to want you to suffer, I'm going to take you home. Guys, it's hard because, because all of our lives, there's a couple of things happening, okay? Number one, because you're a believer, there's a sanctity of life. You want to preserve life. You don't want to see life end. That's in you. And that's why you will fight to keep this life. Number two, right? Number two, when you, you, you feel the sanctity of life, but number two, we need to realize that this life, we're just passing through. We, re- we really are. 
and that God has already heard us and has already gone before us. Verse 4, talking about, notice his, his enemies, the lightnings light the world. His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. And the presence of the whole Lord of the whole earth, the heavens declare his righteousness and all his peoples, notice, see his glory. You guys know what he's talking about, right? You've seen lightnings, right? They come from God. Lightning is amazing, right? They light up the world. And guess what? It says the earth sees and trembles, right? It reminds me of a storm, you go, how does a storm start? It starts with dark clouds and it turns into lightning. And you guys know this, right? You try to go to bed and you feel like somebody's taking your picture because it's the lighting is so much. You're just like, what? And then we've learned that the earth trembles, right? With the, with the what? I mean, think about it, guys. With thunder, how can the... Have you ever had thunder shake your house? Scary, isn't it? You're like, where is that? You'll see a flash of light and you'll smile, but not really. And then... And then And then the house will shake and it scares you to death. And you're like, what? Guys, it's a picture of God being exalted over his enemies. It says men, the men will melt with fear. He's talking about mountains will wax, but but notice, it, the, the mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord and the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. It's, it's, a, it's a metaphor for men. His enemies will look at him and, and they'll tremble, right? How? Does God say anything? At his presence. If God's enemies will melt at his presence, think about that. Think about that. When God appears to fulfill his promises and execute his threatenings, all opposition vanishes before him and all difficulties will disappear. Here, Charles Spurgeon once wrote this. Check this out. Quote, man cannot move hills with difficulty. Do they climb them? With incredible toil, they'll pierce their way through their fastness, but not so with the Lord. His presence makes a clear pathway. Obstacles disappear. A highway is made, and that not by his hand, as though it cost him pains, but by his mere presence, for power goes forth from him with a word or a glance. Pastor, what did you say? I didn't say it. Spurgeon said it, but you know what he said? God is powerful, and he wins. And he wins. He's going to win in your life. He's going to win. Well, Pastor, is there going to be trials? Yeah, there's going to be trials. Why? Because we still have a choice. We have a choice to obey or disobey. But God's going to win ultimately. And I got to shoot straight with you guys. I got to shoot straight with you. This, this is the hardest thing to realize that even as a pastor, I'm going, God, when? I've seen him do tons of miracles, but we struggle because we chalk those up to circumstances, not said God is on the throne. He reigns and we should rejoice. When? He's going to reign. He's going to win. He's going to win in your life and he's going to win in the world. Look at the result. The heavens declare his righteous. All the people will see his glory, right? Now, here's what I want you to think about this, right? One day, the Lord's going to come back for us. Amen? It's going to cause a ruckus, don't you think? Because you're going to be here one minute and then you won't be. 
It's going to cause, I mean, but, but listen, listen, and people are just going to go, what happened? But think about when Jesus comes back the second time and he returns to the earth. All are going to see him and know that he's God. You go, why? The Bible tells us in Philippians, guys, chapter 2, 9 through 11, therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and given the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What's going to happen? One day, every tongue, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. You know those people who don't believe you think you're just a, just a religious nut, a Jesus freak or whatever? Those people are going to go, wow, I need a bow. I need a bow. Well, it goes on. Notice what it says. Those who survive idols will be ashamed and confounded. Look at verse 7. Let let all be put to shame who serve carved images, who boast of idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion here and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high above all the earth. You are exalted above all gods. Now, The one thing we need to draw upon in verse 7 is there's two different words for idols, guys. The first one is the carved images. It's Pacel, and it's an idol or a, a carved graven image, okay? The second one, he says, whose boast of idols, that's E. El Eel, and it's good for nothing, vain or vanity, idol, no value. No value. So the psalmist reminds us, let us all be put to shame or disgraced, who serves and worships idols, okay? Now, obviously, you know we're going to chat, okay? Because it's like, what's, what's happening here? In the ancient East, Near East, when a nation conquered another nation, people interpreted the victory to mean that the gods of the conquering nation were greater than those of the defeated nation. Our gods beat up your gods, okay? What we're talking about is little g gods. But the Jews were taught something different. They were taught that Jehovah was the God of all the earth and the idols were nothing. Okay? 2017. What would we consider an idol that we serve and that we worship? What would we consider an idol? Now, before you answer that in your mind, remember anything good that we make ultimate becomes a idol. Okay, you can take it can be a good thing, but if you take it and you make it ultimate, it becomes an idol. You go, well, Ben, give me a definition of an idol. An idol is anything so central and essential to your life that if you should lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. Now, let that sink in. If somebody told you today, you can't be a Christian, you need to give up God. If you speak of God again, we will kill you and we will kill your family. I wonder, I wonder how we would react, church. If God is supreme, then life really isn't worth living without him, is it? And see, that's the definition of an idol. The idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy 
without a second thought. Without a second thought. Let the impact of what the psalmists say penetrate our, our hearts. You see, modern-day idols are things that we serve and we worship. And you go, Pastor, I'm not sure I would call it worship. I mean, I... Well, think about this. Is what you are constantly thinking about more important than God? You know, because we'll sit here and go, money's an idol, money's an idol. If you're constantly thinking about money and how to make money 24-7, guess what? You're right, it is an idol. Is what you're constantly thinking about more important than God? You go, what does that mean? Does it absorb your heart and imagination more than God? Are you seeking satisfaction from it? Oh, okay, if I could just have this, then I'll be happy. I'll just be happy. Tim Keller in his book writes this. He says, what many people call psychological problems are simple idolatry or issues of idolatry. You go, well, like what? Well, Tim Keller writes perfectionism, workahol- work, uh, workaholism, chronic indecisiveness, the need to control the lives of others. He says, all these stem from making good things into idols that then drive us into the ground as we try to appease them. And then he writes, idols dominate our lives. Because sometimes we go, listen, I'm just a perfectionist. And you go, okay, but... Or you just, listen, I just work. I'm just going to work. I just got... Or what about... I mean, there's all of these things now. Now, here's the thing. Listen... Trying to do things really good, that's awesome. Don't make it ultimate. Because then you'll serve that, and guess what? Then they want to control and dominate your life. But I want you to notice the text. What, is it, what, is, what does the psalmist say? He says, listen, don't serve idols. Don't serve karma. He says, worship him, all you gods. You go, he's giving us the prescription. You go, what is he doing? He's saying, take those things that you've made ultimate and simply repent and put God back on the throne. Your joy will instantly come back to you. Why? Because then you found, you just, you know that the the satisfaction of serving God is already in you. Because God is in his proper place. And listen, you can enjoy all the good things. Why? Because you worship God. That's what the psalmist says about idols, about idols. Now, the last three verses we talk about are basically the Lord being exalted among his people. The last couple of verses, look at verse 10. You who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Guys, this is so beautiful when we're walking through this world. You go, why? Because think about it. He's talking to us now. He says, those of you who love the Lord, here's what I'm asking you. Hate evil. Hate evil. Now think about this command, guys. If you love the Lord, what's, what's the ultimate thing we should be hating? Our sin. You go, why is that? Well, because he said, you who love the Lord hate evil. Well, it's my sin is evil, and my sin is the very thing that put Jesus on the cross. I can't really 
love the Lord and do the things that nailed them to the cross. I don't want to. I don't want to. Pastor, I've got some news for you. Sometimes I sin. I know, sometimes I sin too. But that willingness to sin, that's even worse, isn't it? Because it's like, oh, Lord, I love you, but do I? And there's that inner struggle that he talked about. I love somebody, and I wonder if I love me more at this point. I wonder if I love me more at this point. This is tough. This is tough, guys, because we know our sin put Jesus on the cross. But you know what your job is? Really simple. Your job is to love the Lord. Just love the Lord. The psalmist describes many ways that God blesses and protects his people. Notice, he cares for their souls. He delivers them from the wicked. He sends light before their path and gives gladness unto them. The word preserves there, back in our text, it actually means it's better rendered guards or watches over. Guards or watches over. He says, you who love the Lord hate evil. He watches over our souls of the saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. See, we're going to live in a world where, where you go, man, I feel like I'm being attacked. You know what? God is still what? He's on the throne. He's on the throne. So here's the question, church. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Let's close with this, guys. Let's close out our study tonight with this. Charles Spurgeon, I quoted him a lot tonight, but on the treasury of David, he cites a story of a man named Whitelock, who was Oliver Cromwell's envy to Sweden in 1653. And he writes this. Now listen. One night as he was waiting to sail, he was so distracted by the troubles of the nation that he could not sleep. His assistant in the adjacent bed finally said to him, Sir, may I ask you a question? Of course, said Whitelock. Sir, do you think God governed the world very well before you came into it? Undoubtedly. And sir, do you think that he will govern it quite well when you are gone out of it? Well, certainly. Then, sir, excuse me, but do not think, but but do you not think that you may trust him to govern it quite well while you are living? Whitelock had no answer to this question. He rolled over and soon he went to sleep. Do you believe, church, that the Lord reigns? not only over the world, but also your life. Do you believe that? You go, Pastor, I believe that. If so, then rejoice. Rejoice and be glad in him. One day, God's going to bring everything to account, and he's going to set everything straight. All our job is to love the Lord and rejoice. Love the Lord. Do you believe that God reigns? Do you believe the Lord reigns? Yes, yes, sir, Pastor, I do. And make a joyful noise. Let the peace of God reign in your heart. Understand that he got you in his hands and he loves you and he's not going to let you fall.
He knows the job you're in. Pastor, I don't like my job. Guys, listen. That's your mission field. God's using you. God's using you to stay faithful. Stay faithful. When your boss comes in in a bad mood, smile, rejoice. Why are you always so happy? (laughs) Why wouldn't I be? God's on the throne. And he loves me. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, God, and we thank you for Psalm 97. And I could picture David just just trusting you. I could picture David just rejoicing when no one else saw him. David had something, God, that we desperately want. That's a deeper relationship with you. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.